Let's stand and open our Bibles to 2 Samuel this evening. 2 Samuel 24, we'll start reading at verse 20. And Arana looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arana went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Arana said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To bite the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Arana said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifices, threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Arana as a king give unto the king. Let's pray as we come this evening. Father, we thank you again that we can be in your house. Father, we do pray for these men as they're out on the road trying to raise support, get to the field. And Father, we know the conditions right now of Europe, Spain, not just the economic conditions, but the spiritual conditions. And Father, we're praying that you fill Brother Peters and his wife with all the fullness of God. And Father, you would strengthen them with your might, by your spirit, and the inward man, that, Father, they would be able to take the gospel. I know uh, the struggles that they'll encounter with the language and the culture and adapting uh, to a totally new country. And, Father, we pray that you would fortify them. And Father, help them to be able to start churches and win souls. And Father, we pray for little Savannah tonight. God, you would show special grace. On that family. Father, we'd love to see you touch her body. And Father, we ask tonight that you bless the service. Everything that's done, we want you to be magnified. We want your name to be glorified. And Father, we pray once again you'd stir our hearts, stir our souls with a passion for reaching the lost with the gospel of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Eight or ten years ago, I was in Alaska preaching a conference, and God gave me this message. And I preached it for years and put it away because I felt it was too heavy for the average independent Baptist church. So tonight, since I wasn't abrasive last night, I want to preach on a very important principle when it comes to missions. That last phrase we read in verse 23, as a king give unto the king. Now I want you to think for a minute about what is taking place in this story. David had sinned, he had numbered the people, and he was confronted by the man of God in verse 13. Something curious takes place. God allowed David to choose the punishment for his sin. He offered him three different choices. Verse 13 says, "Shall seven years of famine Come unto thee, or will thou flee three months from before thine enemies? Or that there be three days pestilence? Now David did the smart thing in verse 14 and said, Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, and let me not fall into the hand of man. God sent a great pestilence. Seventy thousand men lost their lives as a result. David is sickened, satined, repentant. Verse 17, he says, I have sinned, I have done wickedly, but these sheep 
What have they done? And he goes up and he finds this place that he would like to rear an altar unto God. And it's owned by Arana, a Jebusite. And as he comes, he says, Arana, I'd certainly like to purchase this plot. And look at Arana's response in verse 22. He says to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Here be oxen for burnt sacrifices and threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. As a king, give unto the king. Now I want you to think for just a moment at his response to the king's request. With a very sacrificial heart, you have to understand, although he was a Jebusite, he understood the law. He understood that this, this animal that he was about ready to provide for David had to be perfect without spot, without blemish. He just couldn't go out in this field and find any average, ordinary animal. This ox had to be his prize ox. And he not only offers that in the threshing floor, in the, the plot of land, but he also says, listen, you can take, look what it says, these instruments of the threshing floor and the instruments of the oxen for wood. Now that's amazing. That's sacrificial giving. He said, this is my livelihood, but I'll let you take these tools. Now remember, back then there was no Home Depot. He couldn't just go around the corner, repurchase these tools. These were handmade and would take time. This means for a while there'd be no threshing. This means for a while, if he took those instruments that were used by the ox and for the ox, if he took those and allowed David to burn them upon the altar, his livelihood would suddenly come to a halt. But he said, this is for my king. Let me just say something tonight. Let me encourage you tonight to do something as of Thursday night at the missions conference. I want you to stop giving to missionaries. Don't give to another, don't give another penny. Don't give another dollar. Because if you do that, eventually you'll be bitter. And I've walked around, I've looked at the boards and read the prayer letters and some of these men I know and I thank God for the wisdom of your pastors and, and the men that they've invested in and the works that are being done around the world. But if you're not careful, sooner or later, one of those will get divorced and another one will come home and you'll begin to see problems in their lives and shortcomings and faults and defects. And uh, sooner or later, if you're giving to these men, you'll be disappointed and become bitter with God and bitter with missions. Stop your involvement. Now, can you imagine if Arana would have been focused on David the man? I mean, he knew that David had committed sin with Bathsheba. That wasn't hidden from the people. He knew of David's fault. He knew of his children and their shortcomings and the life and death of Absalom. But worse than that, he had just lived out the punishment that David had brought upon these people. Surely, if 70,000 men fell, one or two or several of those would have been relatives or friends or neighbors. Surely he was touched by the consequence of David's actions. He could have said, David, I, I'd like to help you, but you've really hurt us this time. You've really hurt us. 
But he looked out and he saw the king. Look what it says in verse 20. Arana looked and saw the king. He bowed before the king. He said, verse 21, Is my lord the king? Verse 22, Let my lord the king take and offer up. Now, if any average ordinary neighbor would have come over and asked him, Hey, Arana, I'm needing a saddle. Hey, I'm needing a harness. Hey, I, could you loan me an ox? What for? Sacrifice. I think Arana would have acted in a very different manner. I think he would have said, no. You sure can't. Let me pray about that. No. But the difference was, this was David, his king. Now, if we would look at missions in this light and say, we're not giving money to men or to projects, to mission boards or to special needs. We are giving money to the king, and these are the king's servants. Now let's take a look at the Bible, Bible principle. What's it mean to give as a king unto the king? Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 10. Let's look at a few Bible examples for just a minute. 1 Kings 10. Let's start in verse 1, because the queen of Sheba had heard of the fame of Solomon. And she goes to prove him with hard questions. Verse 2, she came to Jerusalem. Now you know, or have heard of, the queen of Sheba and the fact that she was a royalty. Now how does she come when she goes to Solomon, the richest man on the planet? She came to Jerusalem, verse 2, with a very great train, with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious Stones. Let me ask you this. Was Solomon lacking gold? Was he a needy man? She said, you know what, I'm going to meet a need and bring some precious stones. Something that can help him come out of the depths of poverty. No, no. He didn't, he didn't need any of this. But she said, I'm going to meet the king and I'm going to give as a king to the king. Now here's the problem. We're going to look at three cases tonight. Not everyone shared that same philosophy. Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 25 for just a minute. 1 Samuel 25. You know, before we get to verse 10, let me just explain what's going on here. David is fleeing for his life from the presence of Saul. Years have passed. God's taken care of him, but I'm sure he's losing a little bit of weight. He's running from cave to cave and mountain to mountain. Right now we find him in the wilderness of Paran. Surely eating nuts and fruit and the occasional rabbit or whatever wildlife they could manage to kill. Verse 2, the Bible says there's a man in man whose possessions were in Carmel. The man was very great. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Now what a man would want with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, I don't know. And here's what God said about him. When, when he says that man was great, he's speaking in financial terms, saying this was a man of possessions. And David had stayed in this vicinity now for a matter of months, possibly as many as 18 months. And during this time, Nabal had never lost a single sheep or goat, never had a problem 
David had provided security to this ranch. And one day, he gets bit by the barbecue bug. And he looks at his servants and his fellow soldiers and says, you know what, I would really like some barbecue ribs. And I'm tired of nuts and berries and pine cones and I, I would like some real meat. Why don't you go over to Nabal's house, knock on his door, and see, it, it's sheep-sharing season. Surely he'll give us one of his sheep or one of his goats, and we can cook up some barbecue. So they go down at the house, and let's see how Nabal responds to this request in verse 9. When David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David, and ceased. And Nabal, verse 10, answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? Let me see, David's a king. David is the anointed king over Israel. And beside that, if you didn't know, I'm sure he did. But if you did not know, uh, he has still been good to you and taken care of you for the past 18 months. You can show a little bit of gratitude. Give him a sheep. Verse 11, but look at how he responds. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shears and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? Now this would be what I would say, someone who has the mindset of a pauper. I'm poor. I'm too poor to give this man a sheep. So this man, we'd have to say, was giving as a pauper to the king. This is a very common philosophy we find in our independent Baptist movement. God, I know there are missionaries here, and I know there are needs, and I know Spain, he's going to region three and a half million souls without any witness. But God, I only make $68,000 a year. God, I only have two cars. God, my house is only worth $87,000. God, my wife had to take on additional work. And, you know, at this point, she's struggling because her shoe collection has gone down to 28 different pairs and colors. And her closet right now has a section of size 8, a section of size 10, a section of in-betweens. And her birthday's around the corner. Now we're stepping on toes. It's amazing how poor we think we are. Folks, it'd be a good thing to take a mission trip just so you understand how rich we truly are. And I don't think we need to be ashamed of that. I think we need to be thankful for that and understand that we have experienced financial blessing. Listen, in 2013, those that are poor in the United States of America live better than the royalty of the centuries past. I walked down out of that hotel, climbed off that bed, went down to that breakfast bar. I got to think, boy, we, preacher, it's amazing how good we have it in the United States of America. We were laughing today about balud and other foods that they serve in foreign countries. And Brother Mark was with me on a mission trip, went for four straight days, morning, noon, and dinner. They fed us the same meal, with the exception... Normally they'd feed us squid, but one day they decided to include us in on a great delicacy and they cooked dog meat and filled the squid. 
You know what I did? I fasted. I prayed down the power of God to help Mark eat that. I mean to tell you, we're sitting around with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Listen, he could have given him 100 sheep and still had 2,900 of those stinky animals in his backyard. But you've got to understand, preacher, I only have 1,000 goats in my 401k. Listen, those 3,000 sheep came at 5% interest. By the way, who is this David? Who is this king? Oh, he's the God of the universe. He's the one that's been good enough to give you good health so you can work. And the list is so long, we won't even go there tonight because you already know, deep in your heart, you're blessed. You've just been convinced because you listen to the radio and you read the newspapers and you watch the news and the longer you watch, the more you're convinced that you just have an awful life with tremendous sacrifices because now that the electric bill has increased, you're going to have to live with the temperature house at 73 instead of 71. That's sacrifice for an American. Two Starbucks a week instead of five. That's sacrifice for an American. Now here's the average attitude that you see in missions conferences. People say, shall I take my bread, my water, my flesh? Preacher, if I wake up and I work all day and the government takes all that money out of my paycheck and I tithe and I give and I help with the bus route, now you want me to take my bread, my water, my flesh that I've killed for my family and give it unto men? that I know not whence they be? How do we even know this man's for real? What if he goes to the field? Who's going to keep an eye on him? Do you think he's truly going to work a 40-hour week? How in the world? When he says he started a church, who's going to go over to Spain and check him out? That's why you're not giving to Brother Hernandez. That's why you're not giving to Brother Peters. You're giving to the king. I remember several years ago when we were in Mexico, I had a man in our church, he's 40 years old, he's talking to me about a car and driving. He bought his first car on his 40th birthday. Called me up, he's all excited. Preacher, I got a car, it's a beauty. You got to see it, this is unbelievable, I only have one problem. I don't know how to drive it. Never driven a car before in his life. He was a manager at a plant, at a factory. And had never driven a car, never owned a car. And I said, uh... Do you have someone there that can drive over? Do I need to meet you someplace? He got a neighbor, someone to drive him over to the house. I said, I'll teach you. When he showed up, listen, he had a 72 Renault. He came up, that thing was shaking and rattling and, you know, the type of thing where you, you, you got to lift up the door to get it to open and he crawled out and stepped back. He said, preacher, what do you think? I said, you got to be kidding me. No, she hums and hums. She shakes, rattles, and rolls, but she sure don't hum. Forty years old. Now, at 18, if they don't get an F-150, folks, we're so blessed. We are so blessed and don't even realize it. I remember as a kid reading the 
How many like to read fables when you were kids? I remember the story, and probably most of you remember, about the king that wanted to go through his kingdom and distribute his wealth. So there he is in his royal carriage, and he's going down the road, and here comes an old man with his little sack of rice. you remember the story? And as he walks, he's shaking. He hasn't even lifted his head yet to recognize the carriage, but the king stops and with his royal rope steps out and his servants step down with him. And the man quickly realizes he's in the presence of his king and he bows himself. The king walks over and says, Sir, sir, what do you have there? He said, I have some rice. Sir, would you care to give your king some rights. The man's face fell and he became angry and disturbed and reached in with his fingers and pulled out three grains. Put them in the hand of his king. And the king said, thank you. Walked back to his carriage, pulled out a bag of diamonds and reached in and grabbed three and handed that man three small diamonds. What went through his mind? What was I thinking? Why did I give him three? Isn't it amazing to think that Christians live with this philosophy like God actually needs our money to make missions happen? No, you need God's blessing on your life. God has plenty and extra, but we're hovering over our bag of rice as if we're about to starve to death. And missions conference comes around, we've already calculated how much rice we have and how much we need to live and how much we can survive without. So about the time we're looking at that card, we got a panic look on our face and we're reaching in that bag playing with three or four grains now. There! Now, regrettably, Nabal was a fool. You know, the theme is live to give. If he would have given, he could have lived. The refusal to give cost him his life. But this man did not give his king unto a king. He gave us a pauper unto the king. Let's see another example here. Go with me to 2 Samuel 16. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. And when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread and a hundred bunches of raisins. Now think about how much food this is. How much weight this is. We're not talking about Wonder Bread. How many have ever picked up a loaf of Wonder Bread? It weighs all of a half an ounce. You know the nutritional that. You're better off eating the bag. He was coming down the road with 200 of these loaves of bread. He could have killed an entire battalion of soldiers with that stuff. A hundred bunches of raisins. A hundred summer fruits. That's a lot of food. And a bottle of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what meanest thou by these? Now let me fill you in on the story. Catch up to date. David once again is fleeing for his life. This time not from Saul, but from his son Absalom. The throne has been taken. David in humility is left. He didn't want to hurt his son. And Ziba comes down the road with all this food. Imagine these asses with all this bread, all these raisins, a hundred summer fruits, 
and a bottle of wine. Uh, now, here's a question for you. Be careful. Was this example of giving as a king to a king? No. I don't want you to say yes and be embarrassed in a minute. It wasn't. Why wasn't it? It looked good, didn't it? Certainly, it looked impressive because here Ziba came, a smile on his face, and David said, wow, we're starving. All of this is for us? It certainly is. There's only one problem. Let me ask you how much this cost. What kind of sacrifice was this for Ziba? None at all. He was the servant of Mephibosheth. Who paid for this? Mephibosheth. He tricked him. We don't have time to read the latter chapters, but he tricked Mephibosheth into staying at the house. He loaded up these asses, took off without telling him where he was going. This was not food he had prepared or bought. There was no sacrifice. He could have given 800 loaves and it would have cost him the same. Now, we're talking about giving tonight, philosophies of giving. The first philosophy is, I'm poor preacher, I can't give anything. Kids say this. Dad, remember when they first started giving, Dad, what do I do? Uh, uh, do I give a nickel, a nickel a week? You've got to be kidding me. Uh, my daughter, how much do I give then? Let's pray about it. And we prayed and I said, you know how much God wants you to give? He didn't say anything to me. Okay, you've got to listen this time. We're going to pray again. And we prayed again. I, I, he didn't say anything. I said, okay. God told me real loud and clear, $5 a week. $5 a week, that's right. Dad, how am I going to make $5 a week? And I pulled off my shoe and I pulled off my sock and said, you're going to give me a foot rub twice a week and make your $5. Her little six-year-old face kind of fell halfway to the floor. Now, when it comes to giving, we truly have a mindset of philosophy. I, I talk to teenagers. Uh, many times, oh, preacher, I'm involved in giving. I give $5 a week. You misspend that on one youth activity. We have the philosophy that we are too poor to be involved in missions. But there's another philosophy that says, I'll give so it appears to be a great gift. I just don't want it to cost me anything. That's Ziba. Oh, I'm going to fill out the card. I'm going to put in a number. Those that read it will say, oh, wow, what a blessing. That man's carrying our faith promise. It's not what you give, but how much you're left with. And God knows those details. And here's Ziba, and everyone's impressed. But the bottom line is, he was giving more like a king gives to a queen. All symbolic, but not sacrificial. I want you to think about this for a minute. How many read the book of Esther? Remember Ahasuerus? And Esther's going to come in and ask a favor. He extends his scepter. And then he says these words. Whatever you want up to half of my kingdom. There's only one problem with that. He had a large kingdom all the way from India to Ethiopia. 127 provinces. What if she would have said, Really? I'll take 64 what do you think he would have said? I, really, I'm talking about a dress or a necklace, a nice meal, a new chariot, a little more gold on the bed, nicer headboard, 
hand-carved out of wood, mahogany if you'd like. But when I set up the half my kingdom, that was a joke. So don't push it, lady. He had no intention of doing that. But it sure sounded good. It sure sounds impressive when he extends the scepter and says, up to half of my kingdom, my lady. Why don't you ask for half that kingdom? I promise you, you're not getting it. That's the way a king gives to a queen, and that's often our philosophy when it comes to missions. Did you notice in your Bible that those examples of givers that have been highlighted are people that were sacrificial givers? We were right about one group of those, the Macedonian churches. Out of their great poverty, they gave. How many of you remember the widow with two mites in Mark chapter 12? Gave all her living. Mary with that alabaster box, Mark chapter 14. A year's wage. That's the kind of giving that God exalts. You know what, preacher? Maybe with the economy taking this dive and things going the way that they're going, we're going to see real quick over the next five years who in our churches and what Christians are truly willing to give sacrificially. Because up to this point, we've given and it's cost us very little. It hasn't cost us our nice homes. Oh, it may have cost us, you know, a model or two. Instead of a 2012, we have to drive a 2008. It may have cost us an elite neighborhood, but the bottom line is we still have nice suits and nice clothes and a nice house with nice furniture. And here's what we wanted, and here's the way we've lived and given over the past 20 years, as long as I've been involved in missions. The majority of people sit down with their checkbook and look at their income and calculate and deduct and add and subtract. And in the end, they say, this is what we can do this year without really making a sacrifice. This is the limit. And the limit is sacrifice. You're giving as a king gives to a queen. Let, let me put it in a more personal form. Let me give you an example you might be able to understand. Several years ago, I was at a missions conference. And uh, one of the people in the church walked up, to, walked up to me, and they had an envelope in their hand, and they handed it to me, sealed. Don't ever hand a sealed envelope to a missionary. Put it in my pocket. You know where I was headed. Straight to the bathroom. So I walked to the bathroom, you know, you... You wait for a stall, you walk in. I never use stalls unless I have an envelope. You gotta walk in, know how to stand, you face the door. I pulled it out, quietly ripped it open. Four fresh $100 bills. How many of you ever walked into the bathroom, saw some shoes there, and heard, Hallelujah! Oh, to God! That was a blessing. Man, I put those 400 fresh dollar bills in my pocket. And I watered up that envelope, threw in the garbage can on my way out. Said, praise the Lord. <laughs> now, in this pocket, I had $200, but these $200 were already designated. Those weren't free bills. Those already had a place to go. 
But I walked up, sat down, we sang a few songs, and regrettably, a preacher there by the name of Homer Smith, and he was the first to preach. He said, now, bless God, bless God before I preach. Bless God before I preach, we need an offering. No, bless God, we got, bless God, we got a need tonight. We got a need, I'm telling you, we got a need. I said, that is that old man preaching, that is not the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And he told us about that need, and he told the usher to come up with their plates. Now, I had a choice to make. I could give as a pauper gives to a king. I could have pulled out. I couldn't have because I didn't have a $20 bill. But if I would have had a $20 bill, I could have pulled it out and said, you know what, I'm going to give $20. That's what most of the crowd's doing anyways. Now, I had a second choice, which could have said, I'm going to give as a king gives to a queen symbolically, to impress, and here's what I could have done. Could have pulled out one of those fresh $100 bills. <laughs> scratch the back of my neck. No, you know, like Baptists do. You, you put a couple of those $100 bills in an envelope and you put 200 I mean, you write it so large it overlaps everything on the envelope. Then at the bottom, Adam Thompson. And they would have said, that missionary, bless his heart. Bless his heart. Gave $200 tonight. You know, preacher, if I would have put $200 in that envelope, how much would that have cost me? Not a dime. That was unexpected money. Not even designated. I could have given that without even making a sacrifice. And as I started fingering those bills, he said, grab them all. Put them in that envelope. Don't even sign your name. Reach in your other pocket. Reach in my other pocket. That is not the Holy Spirit of God. Are you with me tonight? Now that's a little bit too personal. Yeah, we better get racing here and get finished. Second Samuel 23. Now we're going to see a Bible example of giving as a king gives to a king. These men are called mighty men. Mighty men are the ones that are willing to make the sacrifice and give as a king unto the king. Look what it says in verse 15. David longed and said, Oh, the one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines, drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate. They took it, they brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not even drink it but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went out in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did three mighty men. Well, preacher, how in the world can you say a glass of water was extreme sacrifice? Because it came with a great cost. I know children that have given $50 that was more sacrificial than adults with $500 in an envelope. These three men could have gone to the nearest pool or the nearest well or the nearest brook, but they said, we're not getting water for just anyone. We are getting water for the king of kings. Now listen, folks, you wouldn't go down here to a nice restaurant 
and eat a good meal. And at the end of the meal, you know, you pull out a $1 bill and tell the waitress, you just want to be a blessing. That's what we do with God. I can't imagine doing that. I want to make sure that He has my absolute best. And when we understand this, it will revolutionize our giving. Several years ago, when we were in Argentina, here's the, here's the blessing, preacher. We went to Argentina last month. The church bought us our tickets, and we went over there and surprised people that we hadn't seen in years. But the very first door we went, when Vanessa stepped out and we hugged her neck, I was overwhelmed with emotion, but all these great memories were flooding through our minds, and they invited us in. We sat down at the table. Here's my favorite memory, Vanessa. Now, you've got to understand, Argentina went through an extreme financial crisis. When he was talking tonight about Spain and, and immigrants from South American countries, he's exactly right. Many of these families moved to Spain because of the economic collapse that took place in the hyperinflation in Argentina. But during that collapse, I remember calling up my dad, and we had people that were going without and, and going hungry. And I said, Dad, what do we do? How do we have a missions conference in these conditions when people can't even feed their family? They look at their children and say, you know what, Tuesdays and Thursdays we don't eat. And the kids just knew. No food. They had to survive. You don't complain. Those days you don't eat. I was burdened to Dad. I can't keep everyone alive. I can't meet everyone's needs. How in the world are we going to have a missions conference in these conditions? He said, son, if it's biblical, I don't care what the financial conditions are, you do it. We preached. Well, the currency had just changed. And because of the change, there was a great confusion when the cards were filled out. So some of them we just guessed. For example, if it said 250 pesos, we know that they were using the old currency and it probably meant 25 Pesos are $25. So when I read Vanessa's card, that's what she had put, 250 I said, that she doesn't even make, combined with her husband, they don't make $250 a month. Surely that means $25, or maybe it means $2.50. Whatever the case, it was their first missions conference, so either one would be a step of faith. So I said, we'll just do this, we'll just wait to the end of the month, see what she gives, and calculate it in our faith promise. Well, Weeks passed, nothing came in, and I said, maybe she just misunderstood. Maybe she's not going to give anything at all. At the end of the month, I was out calling, came home one day, and there was a big bag of change on our table when I came home. And I walked in the door, and I said, babe, what were you thinking? You don't, we may be financially tight, but you don't go rob convenience stores to help me provide for this family. Would you go crack open a Coke machine and steal the change? What are you doing, woman? And she said, no. Vanessa brought that by. I said, Vanessa brought that by? Yes. And I sat down, preacher, and I counted out every one of those coins. By the time I got done, it was $250 to the penny. Preacher, by the time I got done, counted out, I was weeping. I put that back in the bag, and I found a box. I put it in the box. We went over to Vanessa's house, and I knocked on the door. I said, Vanessa, we need to sit down for a minute. And her husband was there, and I said, uh, you know, when we had the missions conference, I don't think you understood the concept. And I re-explained it. About 35, 40 minutes later, I said, now, we'd gone through the tithe, and we'd gone through offerings, and we went through missions giving. And I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave this here at your house, let you pray about this, and with your husband make a new commitment. And if you want to keep the $250 commitment, this will be a year's 
commitment and we'll keep this money. She got a serious look on her face and she stood up. You've got to understand, this is a 23 or 24-year-old mother of two that lives in a little concrete house and a dirt floor. She stood up, her face turned red, she pointed out that finger and she said, you listen to me, preacher. You come here and you preach the Bible to us and we want to do right. And you tell us about missions and getting the gospel out. And God works in my heart and I make a faith promise and then God makes his promise. And then you tell me to keep that money? You have one of two choices. You keep that money and keep us as members. Or I'll take my box to another church that truly believes in missions. I picked up that box. And as we were there at Vanessa's house, we were laughing about that faith promise. And the way God helped her keep that faith promise, selling ice cream. Now, folks, I'm not telling you to make a $250 faith promise. I'm telling you tonight, if you would listen to the Holy Spirit and understand, we're not trying to raise money for men or works or projects or for Bibles or for tracts. We're trying to raise money for the King of Kings. And here's the principle. Arana said, take it all. You're my king. Whatever you want, it's yours. Young people, let me say this before we pray. If you get this principle, it'll change your life. You know why we don't have missionaries now surrendering young people, surrendering to the mission field? You know the best thing is you give God, your king, your life. You could give him nothing greater, as we said last night. Those Christians in Macedonia and those churches, they first gave of themselves. Now we have young people saying, God, you can have my heart, but you can't have anything else. How many of you have bought a new car within the past 10 years? Please, because this isn't a trap. I need you to help me out. So you went down, you signed the paperwork, they gave you the keys, you climbed in the car, right? How many of you like that feeling when you sat down, you looked around, you smelled that new plastic, and you turned it on and it did purr. And you said, wow, I am the proud owner of a new car. But wait! Out comes the salesman, beating on the window. Hold it, hold it, hold it for just a minute! And he came with a tool. Oh, what are you doing? Uh, you know when you signed the paperwork and bought this car, it didn't come with a bumper. It didn't come with a bumper. No, it didn't come with a bumper. Certainly didn't, as in the fine print. Just wanted you to know. Merry Christmas to me. I want to see that paperwork. And you pull out the paperwork. There it is, right there. It doesn't come with a bumper. So he takes the bumper off. Now you're mad. It still purrs, but you're ticked off. So you restart the car. And you... Put it in reverse and wait. Knocks on the window again. Hold on for a minute. Hey, just want you to know. You know when you bought this new car? It didn't come with the tires. You gotta be kidding me. No, it's in the fine print. They jack up the car, put some blocks underneath it, pull off the wheels. You call up a friend, say, hey, I need some tires. I got a, I bought a brand new car, it just didn't come with a bumper and tires. Can you bring me some tires? Well, hey, yeah, yeah, give me an hour and I'll be down there with the tires. And as you sit there, he comes running by. Hey, hold on for one minute. I forgot to tell you something. Huh? Fine print. This car doesn't come with seats either. 
You know what you're about ready to do at that time? You're ready to take those keys out of your pocket and hand it back and say, you know what? I really don't want the car. Hold on for a second. That's what our youth are doing with God. You know, God, I just want you to know, from 18 to 55, can't touch that. That's mine. God, I just want you to know, you know this right here? <laughs> it's not yours either. That didn't come with the purchase. And God, I know you told me to witness, be a witness. I just want you to know, you can have my eyes and ears. You know, this didn't come with the purchase. We're talking about the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. God says, I bought you with a price. You're mine. Glorify me in both body and spirit. 